final hour of the show here. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And as a reminder, what we learned is coming up at 8.30. So hit us up with your submissions. Uh, We need more in the inbox, people. Come on, get to work. Do our job for us. Give us some content to talk about. Hit us up. Hashtag WWL. Uh, so we can read them in the final segment of the show. But before we get to that, we will talk a little bit of NFL with our next guest. He is Mike Tanier covering the league for The Messenger. Mike, thanks for doing this as always. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome back to football. Yeah. Are you – Are you like, what's your stance on preseason football? Is it like, you know, finding an oasis in the desert for you after so long without football, or is the product just not, not enough for you to get uh, too into it? Well, I mean, as – a reporter as somebody who uh, has the money flowing again. I, I, <laughs> I love it. You know, thank you very much. You know, I love it. I, I, I'm a junkie. I'm a lifer. And it's exciting to get a, an editor saying, hey, you know what? Go watch the Hall of Fame game and come away with five takeaways. That's a plus. But, you know, I respect the opinions of regular fans who look at this and say, good heavens, this is ridiculous. This is a terrible product. Don't even want to watch their home team. Just want to wait until September arrives or maybe late August arrives and some college football comes to look at. I mean, I can't believe I'm doing this, but uh, hit, hit us with one of those takeaways from the Hall of Fame game, Mike. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it's a blur. I, I don't <laughs> even remember. Uh, Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver for the, uh, for the Browns, looked really sharp uh, early in the game when some starters and key backups were still out there. Rookie receiver from Tennessee, a couple of big catches for the Browns. They need a wide receiver three. Tillman could be that guy. All right, there you go. That is, uh, that, that's what I'm looking for, for takes from the, uh, from the Hall of Fame game. Now, <laughs> looking ahead to the regular season, what, I wanted to, we'll, we'll, we'll ask about a bunch of different interesting teams, but one, the place I wanted to start was uh, the Denver Broncos and, and Sean Payton specifically. Now, they've been in the news for a variety of reasons uh, so far in training camp and in the preseason here in the NFL. We all know what a disaster it was with Nathaniel Hackett there in Russell Wilson's first season. What are your expectations? I, I have almost no idea what to expect how big a difference the coaching change will make what Russell Wilson will look like what are you expecting to see out of Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos this year you you know I started somewhat optimistic um, and I'm not I'm not gonna uh, you know think too much about all the things Payton says these days because I can't tell if he's just you know, shooting from the hip because he got paid a lot and he doesn't care anymore and this is a retirement job, or if he's trying to draw attention to himself and away from the players. But, you know, in the first week or so of camp, the, the Broncos have already suffered a couple of injuries, most specifically wide receiver Tim Patrick. He's hurt again. He was hurt most of last year. K.J. Hamler, who they've been waiting for for years, he's got a, he's got a medical condition. He's going to miss a while. So Wilson's receiving core is already getting gutted, um, and they've had some injuries elsewhere and on the defense and also. What I'm looking at is a team that, like, might this might be over before it begins. They might not simply have the talent for Wilson to bounce back at the level that he has to bounce back for them to be relevant. So I see them as a kind of a, a team that has a pretty capped ceiling. They can only be so good. They can only be a wild card team, really, if you look at the rest of the AFC. 
But the floor, they could bottom out totally. Wilson and Peyton could wind up, you know, trying to strangle each other. And this could be a team that's in rebuilding mode by, by midseason. Well, what do you make of, you know, usually we look at the preseason and star players don't play until the final game, if that in some cases. Uh, but Sean Payton has confirmed that Russell Wilson's going to be playing in game one of the preseason um, against the Cardinals on Friday. What, what do you make of that? You know, half of it is this is a coach that looked at last year's team and said, illegal formation penalties, delay of game penalties. They weren't getting plays in right. They weren't lining up right. And could be saying, hey, you know what? The starters need to get their work in together in live, uh, live conditions to, to make sure they clean that up. The other part is he could very well be sending a message to Russell Wilson that, no, you're not, you know, whoever. You're not like an untouchable person who, who doesn't have to play in the preseason and can rest and can go hang out in your mansion with the 37 bathrooms or whatever. He could just be exerting his will over Wilson and some of the other starters. My, my gut tells me it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> one is the reason and one is the rationalization. But it's going to be interesting to see because, first of all, we'll get a look at Wilson. We'll see, you know, how he looks in this offense. And we'll get a sense if players are chafing. We'll start to hear it in a week or two if they don't like the way Peyton is doing business. And, and, you know, obviously a big part of how their season unfolds is going to come down to how they stack up in that division. And, you know, you've got the defending Super Bowl champs in the Chiefs. The the team that's always fascinating this time of year is the Chargers. And, they you know, make the switch <laughs> at offensive coordinator. Big new deal for Justin Herbert. How much confidence, if any, do you have that this is going to be a, a meaningful breakthrough year for the Chargers? Yeah, I don't know if it's a meaningful breakthrough. I mean, the good news is it's uh, August uh, 8th and no one's gotten injured yet, yes. which is the big news for the Chargers. Um, you know, the coaching change bringing in Kellen Moore, coordinator, that should be a net positive. Uh, you know, adding some pieces at receiver, net positive. You know, taking care of Herbert, that's going to help a little bit, certainly. I- I'm looking at the uh, STN Almanac projections for the-, for the Chargers, and, you know, they're a 9.3, you know, a 9 or 10 win team. That's kind of what they were last year. It seems like what they're going to be until they really get a breakthrough in terms of their receiving core or getting one more guy in their their defense, et cetera. So, uh, you know, in that division, it's different. If they were in the AFC South or if they were in the NFC South, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this this is a deep playoff team. Looks like the Chargers are once again in that wild card group looking up at the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals. You know, and with the Chiefs sticking in the uh, in the division just for a second, Mike, look, they have more than earned the benefit of the doubt with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. But I can't help but notice, you know, you've got the rock solid, the superstar Travis Kelsey at tight end. At wide receiver, yeah. there's a lot of interesting names, but there's a lot of question marks as well. I mean, should the should the Chiefs should we be concerned about the Chiefs pass catching options or does the benefit of the doubt, as I said, from Mahomes and Reed just, you know, erase those question marks, at least to begin? Yeah, there is a little bit of a question there. And I was really looking through that group and saying, like, I don't see I mean, Travis Kelsey, I guess, is your wide receiver one. Yeah. And I don't see a wide receiver two. I see <laughs> I see a lot of threes and a lot of fours and a lot of guys that I kind of liked in the draft, but like they have to step up there. And yeah, what it boils down to is if you're arguing that that's going to cause problems for the Chiefs in the regular season, probably not. They're going to be fine. When you have to stack them up against the Bengals and the Bills, then you start running into the problems because obviously the Bengals have a better receiving core than anybody. And if you go up and down the roster, they look stronger. Joe Barrow is hurt, but he'll probably be fine pretty soon. You look at the Bills, you say, oh, the Bills still top to bottom, position by position. There's not really a weakness there. The Chiefs have that weakness. Now, can Mahomes overtake that? 
that's what January's for, <laughs> finding that question out. The four months before that will probably be those young receivers figuring things out, Mahomes figuring them out, and then winning a lot of games about, against teams that just cannot stack up against them. Well, you mentioned the Chiefs, the Bills, and, of course, the Bengals, the AFC contenders. Uh, some would want to put the New York Jets in that discussion now that they have Aaron Rodgers. Are you one of those people? Are they a legit threat coming out of that AFC East, or are we just hearing a lot of noise like Sean Payton saying? <laughs> yeah, I think we're hearing a lot of noise. I don't know what their offensive line is going to look like at all because we got a bunch of guys hurt and a bunch of guys who are unproven and guys like Mekhi Becton who are always hurt or already starting to get uh, beaten up a little bit. And, you know, their defense looks very strong, but this is not the 1985 Bears defense. This is, a you know, a top 10 defense in the NFL. So, you know, I, I look at the FTN Almanac projections. I look at my own notes. I, I look at the odds makers projections. And, you know, there are teams like, the Jets and there are teams like the Ravens and there are teams like the Jaguars and, and the Browns go in that category. Maybe the, the Dolphins, if everyone's healthy and the Steelers, that's the wild card chase. That's the wild card chase. The Jets belong there hundred percent. Rogers, where he's at now in his career, that defense, that receiving core, they belong there. Putting them in the next level is different. And they just have too many weaknesses of too, too many places. And Rogers is too big a question mark coming off an off year at age 39 to put them in that group with the Bengals, the Bills and the Chiefs, of course. You know, you mentioned some of the, uh, the the wild card contenders in the AFC there, and the thing that always stands out, you know, not an original observation by me here, is just how loaded the quarterback position specifically is in the AFC. And you mentioned the Jags. What kind of step forward do you think we could see from Trevor Lawrence? Because I feel like right now people are excited about him, but he's still on the the outside of, you know, when you start listing off all the great young quarterbacks in the AFC, a lot of people don't necessarily con include Trevor Lawrence in that conversation. What kind of season are you expecting out of Trevor Lawrence? I think he will take a step up. I think he will entrench himself in that group among Allen and, and Burrow, if we put Mahomes a notch above yeah. it there. Um, he's going to get a break in terms of drop passes. The Jaguars led the league in drop passes last year. You know, Zay Jones, I think, had 13 drops. Some of the other guys had a lot of drops. Calvin Ridley coming in with a full uh, uh, offseason should help that. Uh, just, you know, guys working on the judge machine should help that. Probability will help that, and, and, and Lawrence will get better there. Lawrence had a little bit of a fumbling problem last year, uh, you know, throughout the season. His ball security wasn't great when he would take off. That's something that will not escape his notice, Peterson's notice. You know, they're going to be slapping the ball out of his hands in camp and everything. So he can really get up into that upper echelon. What does that mean for the Jaguars? They should win their division. That division should be a cakewalk. They need help on defense, and they need to straighten some stuff out on the offensive line. Then, if they can do those things, they're going to be a deeper playoff team. But for right now, Lawrence is going to carry them a pretty large uh, percentage of the way. One of the more intriguing teams across the NHL or NHL NFL this year is NHL. the. Uh, yeah, there you go, Canada, right? We talk hockey all the time. <laughs> um, is the Detroit Lions, and this is a team that you yes. start looking at that NFC North, and you start to say, okay, what? is the ceiling with this team because there's definitely a path. They showed something last year, especially the second half of last year, and so did Jared Goff. But what do you think is the ceiling for this team and the improvements that they made over the offseason? I think most most analysts look at them and say, yeah, they're a very strong team. The division's weak. Division favorites to win, you know, 10-win, 11-win team. I guess it's a matter of tempering and measuring where those expectations really go. I don't think there's a, enough there to be a Super Bowl team. And they're very young on defense. They've got some guys that they drafted last year that are going to be really good players aren't there yet. If you look at their receiving core outside of Amon Ross St. Brown, 
You're waiting on guys from Jamison Williams to stop being suspended, stop being hurt, stop dropping passes in practice, a lot of things going on there. And that they need that stuff to come through. So this is a strong team, and it's an exciting team because, you know, we, we're still getting to know them. We're not, this is not like the Vikings where we've talked about them for six years and we're tired of them. These guys are on the rise. I just don't know how high they're going to rise in 2023. Mike, where do you see the Seahawks fitting in in the hierarchy of the, the NFC going into the season? Well, because there's such weakness at the bottom of the uh, NFC, and that sounds a little pessimistic, they're, they're above all of that bottom-feeding mm. part of the NFC, and they're in that group with teams like the New York Giants. Flawed teams, strong in some areas, maybe not like up there on the level of the Super Bowl contenders, but in that mix there. And I think I'm pretty, I, I was pretty excited by some of the things they did in the offseason as well. I'm looking at the FTN Almanac, and we have an 8.3 win projection for the Seattle Seahawks. And I think one of the things that is a concern is, are we going to see a continuation of uh, Geno Smith's season last year? Looked like he was tailing off a little bit late in the season, if you really watch what was going on. Are we going to see that, or are we going to see something between the Geno we saw last year and, and like, the Geno we saw in the past? That's, a, that's an issue there. The other issue, of course, is they're kind of capped as a wildcard team unless something happens, because when you look at the 49ers top to bottom, yeah, we don't know which of the quarterbacks is going to be the guy, but in the past they haven't needed a quarterback uh, to be that good to win 12 or 13 games, and they're still a notch ahead of the Seahawks at most positions. Mike, appreciate the time. Only only a couple more days for before more of that yes. sweet preseason NFL action that we're all <laughs> we're all excited for. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> oh, bring it on. Take care and enjoy your week, guys. <laughs> Thank you. That is Mike Danier uh, covering the NFL for The Messenger, and always uh, a pleasure uh, to get him on the show. I like to be honest with you there for Mike, just being like, yeah, people pay me to write things about preseason football, so of course I like it. I don't care if it's the B team, the C team, the D team, <laughs> as long as football is being played and i'm getting paid as long as people will read my five takeaways about the hall of fame game i'm good i am here for it uh it is halford to rough your sports that 650 with jamie dodd and randy janda filling in we've got about 15 minutes before we get into your what we learned you do still have time to get your submission in hashtag wwl what we learned over the last uh, 96 hours in sports off the long weekend uh keep hitting us up with them in the inbox. Uh, but we'll do some of ours first, and uh, we'll start a little early here because I have a, a bit of a longer one that involves some audio. And what I learned over the weekend is that the Baltimore Orioles might be the softest team top to bottom in sports, in all of professional sports. I am confident in saying that right now after what we witnessed unfold with the Baltimore Orioles over the weekend. If you haven't heard about this, uh, their broadcaster, television broadcaster, Kevin Brown, not former pitcher, Kevin Brown, just a, a broadcaster. Cy Young, the same name. Say, yeah, uh, don't think he so. He was close. He yeah, was yeah. He was a Cy Young candidate. Yep. Let's put it that way. But not him. Uh, broadcaster of the same name, Kevin Brown, uh, has been suspended by the team. Now, the team owns the broadcaster, MASN. It's a direct ownership. Uh, suspended by the team for what I can only call incredibly innocent remarks that for some reason offended ownership. I'll play you, the whole thing's about two minutes, you can find it, it's been all over social media, but we'll play you a little snippet just to give you an idea of the remarks that got Kevin Brown suspended uh, by the Baltimore Orioles. Here he is. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. 
you have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th 2017 the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete already got three and two of the chop this year after winning three of 18 the previous three years combined it is a stark difference Ben and it is not a bad Rays team it's not like all of a sudden the race uh, became slouches in the American League East they've led this division every day but now two and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place so that's a little snippet, and if you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and for the really incendiary, inflammatory, harshly critical of the Orioles stuff to come, it doesn't come. There is no moment where he even, where forget crosses the line, even comes within distance of the line. All he's doing there is reciting stats about, yeah, the Orioles, who by the way, until this year have been terrible for five years yeah guess what they've lost a bunch of series against the tampa tampa bay rays that's all he said and by and he was putting a positive spin on it he was saying man they've really struggled here but this year it's been different this year they've started to win here that's not critical of the team that's putting a good spin on it that's saying hey look how much progress they've made and for those comments the owners of the baltimore orioles are so thin-skinned so cowardly they felt the need to suspend him from broadcast. Now, this has been reported by The Athletic and other uh, other outlets. They're not calling it a suspension, but they're removing him from the broadcast. We all know what it is. I am stunned that you could operate a Major League Baseball team and be that thin-skinned and that terrified of criticism. And again, these were those statistics, the, way, the place they found them was in the game notes prepared by the Orioles' own PR staff. This is your team putting it out. And your broadcaster relays it on air to try to give your team a compliment. And you suspend him as a result. Like, stunningly soft by the Baltimore Orioles. The players, the manager, the GM of that team have a winning mentality. They're in the division lead. The owners have a loser's mentality. They're still acting like they're losing 100 games in a season. And that's what you do. You're super defensive about things that are said. First of all... To your point, what negative was there? There was nothing negative. Guess what? It's no secret that the Orioles have been terrible recently. He's not breaking news here. He's not uncovering. We, yeah, we all know, of course, they've lost a lot of games to a really good divisional rival. Do you remember when the Calgary Flames had some ridiculous streak in Anaheim where they'd lost like 25 straight away games at the pond in Anaheim? And if they had mentioned that on air and all of a sudden... The Flames were like, no, 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 you can't nope. do that. Nope. You're, you're suspended. Yep. People would be Peter losing Lubardis, their minds. Sorry, you're suspended. It's facts only, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's legitimately. It's not even opinion. It's not like, first of all, he should be able to express his opinion, but he wasn't even doing that. It was, he took him on a little bit of a drive and said, this was the past. It was like kind of a Christmas carol. Let's yeah. look at the past a little bit. And now let's look at the future, which is great. And by the way, he ends that off by saying, in the division lead. It's a positive story. Super thin-skinned. Yeah. And the fact is, you can win games. The players can win games. The manager can win games. The GM who constructs the team. Mm-hmm. And they have great prospects coming up. That's a winning culture that they have on the field and in the clubhouse. In the ownership suite, man, that's a loser's mentality. No, and that is, is a total uh, loser's mentality. The, the Angelos family headed up by Peter Angelos. And the, one of the pieces was reporting uh, by the the uh, the beat writer at the Athletic was that one of the reasons he didn't like it is that he ma- it made him seem cheap. Now 
take out the fact that no nothing about payroll was mentioned or anything, right? They have the 29th highest, the, the second lowest payroll in Major League Baseball this year. You don't want people to think you're cheap? Spend more on your exciting, fun, young team that's leading to the division. Put sp- Spend some cash, and then people will stop calling you cheap. I need to listen back to that and watch it as well, because I think some graphics were involved, but I didn't hear anything on that front. Maybe that's, if you think you come off looking cheap in that in that clip, Maybe that's a you problem. Maybe that's a self-awareness Seriously. thing. Maybe you have some guilt about not spending money on the organization. That's and it's also wild. just, look, they made a organizational decision to be bad, to tank, right? To be bad and save money for a number of seasons, okay? Now, look, they're reaping the rewards now. I might not agree with how they went about their business for the last several seasons, but there's no lie. No, one, no one's confused about what you were deciding to do. Have the guts to own it. Don't, oh, how dare you call us cheap? You were explicitly trying to save money and still are. That's a part of your strategy. They've said explicitly, we look at the Rays as a model because we want to compete on a small budget. Some people aren't allowed to point that out. These are your own words. Have the stones to own it when you decide to make a decision. Instead, they're they're jumping at shadows. They're being complete and utter cowards. And the graphic that was shown on TV is just the stats that he was relaying. Which is, yeah, that's so brutal. And I, one good thing to come out of this is that everybody in baseball and yeah. sports is coming up to, to back up Kevin Brown, which is awesome. And I think there was, you know, much of statements saying, hey, if the Orioles don't want him, there's 29 other teams mm-hmm. that probably would be lining up to get this guy. He's a good broadcaster, but... That's a that's a rough way to treat a an employee. I I uh, and shout out we were talking about Michael K. By the way, and I think Michael K. had the line like, "If this was the standard here, I'd get fired every day." <laughs> and yeah. that's true. It's like look at the Yankees. They ha- they take more criticism than the Orioles could possibly ever imagine. Yep. And they're not yanking Michael K. off the broadcast because they understand that's part of what. If you want to be at the big boy table and play playoff games, guess what. People are going to pay attention and criticize you. You can't have a small mentality when you're trying to play big games, right? You're trying to be a championship contender. You want to, you want to be at the big boy table. Yeah. And the Orioles from a playing perspective are there from an ownership perspective. No, we're close. Not even close. All right. Here's a moo cow there. Ah. Almost with the moo cow, but I got it. (laughs) I thought we were going to break. I didn't know we were going to do the moo cow there. We didn't do it on Friday. I don't know. It's I don't a new know week. What to tell you, new week. <laughs> I'm I, I am hit or miss at best with the all of the sounders and everything that goes along with what we. I'll learned. be ready for it. I was so, ready for that one. But if know. we don't do it, Andy just looks at you like yes. with this death stare. <laughs> he turns to me. He's like, <laughs> yes. "Why did you not have your hand over the button?" <laughs> all right, it. Randeep, you do you have a what we learned for us? I do, I do, and it's a lot of folks are going to actually welcome this. It's it's a rare case where in the soccer world. A rich team is looking bad right now. PSG, Paris Saint-Germain of Ligue 1 in France, is basically Europe's version of the Calgary Flames. Nobody wants to stay there. So Lionel Messi, we know what happened there. Yes. Went to Inter-Miami. I was going to say Inter-Milan, but no. Inter-Miami. Doing pretty well, as as it turns out. Not only is he raising up MLS, he's also embarrassing the league at the same time with the level of defending that they have. It's It's a great like magic act where he's doing both things at once. You have Kylian Mbappe, who said, I don't want to play here. And he turned down a deal to Saudi Arabia, which was worth a billion bucks, because he mm-hmm. wants to go to Real Madrid. So that's two players that want to leave. And yesterday, Neymar. Yes, Neymar Jr. still plays at PSG, folks. He announced, or he made it known to his agent, that he no longer wants to play at Paris Saint-Germain either. So you have 
three of the big dogs that they signed. supposed to be signed. the big three front line, right? Supposed, was... supposed to lead them to a Champions League yep. final. They all want to leave. And at least PSG can now relate to the Calgary Flames well, in some way. And I was going to say, I don't, think, I don't know that uh, the people of Paris and Calgary have ever had anything in common. They do now. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to stay there. With Calgary, I understand. Paris, a great world city. What's mo, the deal? Mo money, mo problems. You think Jonathan Huberto, <laughs> looking back at his experience in Calgary, is like, I got the money. I, think I don't Jonathan, like the situation. Jonathan Huberto, I think, would love to play in Paris. <laughs> he, he would take a one-way flight to Paris right take now. Take the Lambo into the countryside. You can, you can take a pickup into the, uh, <laughs> into the, <laughs> into the French Riviera. Oh, drive south. man. No? It would be fantastic. I did see, and this is like classic uh, peak soccer transfer rumors uh, in that it's probably total nonsense, but uh, MLS making noise. So they, they want to find a way to get Mbappe over. <laughs> I can't even take that seriously. I know. It is like how? What are you going to like? I don't know. If he didn't take the money from Saudi, like you're not going to you're not going to trump that money. And obviously the big reason he didn't want to go there is cuz he wants to compete. He wants to compete for a Champions League. He wants to League, go to Real Madrid. Right? He wants to compete for a yeah. Champions League. That's what he wants to do. He wants to win a Champions League. And obviously cannot do that in MLS. I don't know if there's a dollar figure you can throw out there that's going to convince him How dare to go you away from the Real Madrid. Concacaf Champions League like that. It's <laughs> true. But okay. Didn't say which Champions League. Can you League. imagine if he just rolled into the Columbus Crew into their squad? <laughs> By God. Kylian Mbappe. Hey, hey, Johnny Gaudreau left Calgary for Columbus. Maybe, maybe, maybe Eric, if, if you're onto something. I was going to say maybe Eric Branson is making that pitch too to Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> All right, uh, hit us with a moo cow again. Uh, we are going to take a break. You're what we learns. Final segment of the show coming up here on uh, Halvard and Bruff Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast and stay up to date on Vancouver sports all summer long. part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God. This is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. There it is. The masterpiece from A-Dog I might listen to this in Italy. It's got beach vibes to it. It does have kind of like a little Aperol spritz yeah, going on. It more, more like there is a forty-five uh, minute version just for that. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. I'm picturing more like like Brazil beach vibes. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, you could make it work yeah, in you Italy. Could, you could kind of samba to, yeah. to the song, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, sorry to the uh, person in the inbox who demanded a warning. I will say you don't really, like it comes on at the same time of the program every day, so you don't really need a warning in advance. It's just yeah, you should know by now. You know, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I say what we learned is next, you should expect to hear uh, that song. So you know that's why I didn't go out of my way to give you a warning. Uh, a dog, Ben, anything you guys want to contribute to what we learned here? No, I got I got one. I got a small okay, one. Ben's got one. I have to do a golf one, of course. Okay, I learned that. Justin Thomas missed out on getting into the FedEx Cup finals by one shot. Oof. And on the last hole, he had a chip. And he had to chip in to get in. And it hit the flag stick and just stayed Ooh. up. Now yeah, that is tough. devastating. That's tough. And he like falls to the ground and he knew it. And he missed by one shot. Okay, with his psyche and what he's hasn't been able to do the last couple of years now, 
Is that the backbreaker? Because, like, you come that close, you're almost there, and then to lose it that way? Oh. Like, do you recover from that? Brutal. Well, That's I don't, really hard. I don't know if he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team. This Probably not. Which would have been, like, like you think about it, just the name value there. Like, oh, yeah, of course, he'll be on the Ryder Cup is. team. Yeah. He's been struggling so much. And if he gets into the FedEx Cup playoffs, maybe he can make a run and get himself sure. on the team. And yeah. now he just can't Now play. he doesn't even have that opportunity to, to kind of push for a spot uh, on the team. Uh, all right. Hit us with a moo cow there on that one, Ben. Although, I got to say, good job filling in for Laddie. You have your sport. Laddie has baseball. You have golf. Just hit that every time. I just stand uh, up for, for what it. we learned. That's what it's all about. That's what it is all about. Uh, and we will go in to the listener inbox. Uh, and this one came in early. Krez from Coquitlam says, what we learned. Arsenal are looking like they did in the late 90s and early 2000s. He also says, Messi is disgusting and... I no longer need to plan activities of the wife since footy season is back. Uh, well, I don't know about that last part, but uh, yeah, your Unless Arsenal. Unless he's got a very understanding wife. Yes. Your Arsenal, this is this is it. This is the start of like the quadruple for them, right? The the Community Shield victory over, over Man City. You're, in my you're, opinion. You, you've won the league basically already. In my opinion, the most important trophy there is, the Community <laughs> Shield. I've always said that. The most prestigious trophy in world football. It's the shield. Community Shield. Come on. Nice win. Man City fans are going to be like, yeah, whatever, it's the community field. Yeah. For, for Arsenal, though, it was something that they needed for their psyche because it is Man City. So it doesn't mean much of anything, but it's a nice way to start off the year. So the quadruple is on. But, it does, like, realistically. It doesn't mean much. And it doesn't, it's not like it erases the failures of no, no. last year or anything. It doesn't. If you bottle the league and if you aren't able to win it in crunch time, that's that. But at the very least, for a young squad especially, it's, all right. You kind of beat, you beat Man City. You Erling Holland doesn't even he had zero expected goals. Like he mm-hmm. was not good, and part of that was Arsenal's defending. So you can take that and say, okay, we contain the guy for one match, carry that into the season. Uh, and the other part of that uh, text about uh, you know soccer or football is um, he says Messi is disgusting. We've had a few people text him. We did mention it briefly, but yeah, Leo Messi dominating again, leads a late comeback for Inter-Miami in the League's Cup. They advance. He's basically scoring at will. And, you know, you made the point, Randy, and it's a fascinating one, where it's obviously a great thing for MLS to have arguably the GOAT of all time in soccer, um, the GOAT of all time, you know what I mean, the greatest of all time in soccer, come over to your league and immediately live up to the hype and then some, surpass the hype, draw eyes to the product, you know, have other, not just fans, but players around the world look at it and say, hey, if Messi's there, that's interesting. That's an interesting option for me. It is obviously a fantastic thing. It's also a bit of a tough look for MLS and MLS defenders, right? To be getting so consistently torched. And some of these goals... I mean, he's messy. He's incredible, but it's not as if he's there. There are these incredible individual efforts. Like he is finding acres of space in key areas. Defenders seem to be forgetting that Leo Messi is on the pitch with them and not marking him very closely. It it's what I hope is that because if you look at how MLS salaries are typically spent, it's all on attacking talent, right? And the defenders they don't make a lot of money. You don't see a lot of big transfer fees going uh, to defenders. I think we're seeing that kind of attacking heavy roster construction is, you know, Messi can feast in that environment. I hope that MLS teams will say, actually, you know what? We got to pay some attention uh, to the back line as well, because this is embarrassing for the league at the moment. And that's something that we've seen with the Whitecaps as well, where in the last week or so, they've spent some money on fullbacks, Richie Larea, Sam Adekubi. So it's okay. Yep. Center defense is still something that they can work on. Uh, they have no problem scoring goals, but 
I think there's two things. Defending is one of them. It also feels like MLS players, to a certain extent, are still in awe of Lionel Messi, where Mm -hmm. those crunching tackles that we sometimes see in MLS, and I know he's a tough guy to tackle to begin with because that low, you know, center of gravity and all that, but they're being very polite. And I think (laughs) when you're playing against the GOAT, there's got to be a respect level there that he has that nobody else does. So there is going to be a a level of, all right, you're going to have to get past that at some point because this is your livelihood. If you look bad on the pitch, you won't be on the pitch very much. So for right now, though, Looks good. I have one question. Who's for you. who's the Roy Keane of uh, MLS right now? Who's going to come in and not be polite? You know who it should be? Russell Tybert. <laughs> That's who it should be. Uh, Tybert seems like a nice guy. Can you imagine, though? What a legend. <laughs> Just parts the hair the other way and all of a sudden takes on a different personality. Studs up on Leo Messi. Oh. They wouldn't last in the league very long, I'll tell you that much. I, I actually, Apple would make sure of it. I actually lied. I do have a what we learned. All right. Um, and this is credit to the Canucks subreddit for pointing this out, because I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. This is a recent athletic fan poll, NHL fan poll. It says, pick the teams least likely to be a cup contender at any point before 2030. So these are the five teams they yep. picked, top five. At number one, not really surprising, Arizona Coyotes, sure. 61%. San Jose Sharks falls to number two at 30%. Winnipeg Jets are at 29%, third place, fourth place, Philadelphia Flyers, 26%, and at fifth place, your Vancouver Canucks at 23.6%. Do you agree with that, disagree? Would you say it's, they would be above the bottom five for a chance to win a cup before 2030, or or is that about where you put them? Okay, I think that's a, a little disrespectful, because at least with the Canucks compared to those other four teams, like, you have franchise players. You do. I think what that is is a recognition of the struggles this team has gone through right and the instability and the skeletons of the past the skeletons of the past right because I agree with you you have Pedersen and you have Hughes and that's the separating factor from all of those other teams I will say the interesting thing about where the Canucks are positioned right now is this is not I think we still kind of think of them as you know what are they going to do in the future with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen but if you look at the rest of the roster this is a team that should theoretically peak in with this iteration of the team in the next couple of years, right? Like JT Miller, you want him to you, – your goal is to win while he's on the early part of that contract, right? While he's in his early 30s, yeah, not is, where he's on the back end, right? Yeah. And that's the next two to three seasons where you can expect a certain level of production. You know, Andre Kuzmenko's on a fair deal for the next two years, right? Thatcher Demko, I believe either two or three more years left on his deal. Like, it's not really a long-term project that the Canucks are on right now. It's a short-term one. And I think if you're going to make the case for that ranking being accurate, you'd say, well, I don't think they have – the juice to get it done in the short term. And then what comes after that is maybe a, a long-term rebuild, right? Like that, that if, if I was going to make that case, that's how I would lay it out. And but the, the ranking though, well, man, there's some questionable teams across oh, the yeah. league, right? Like, yep. it's not to say if you have that point of view on the Canucks, I can understand that, but that's also neglecting like some pretty terrible situations across the league as mm-hmm. well. Right. And if you start looking at the bottom of those divisions, like the Islanders to me, the Islanders, for sure. Calgary? I mean, the Blues, Yeah, they're, they're in tough. You know, Calgary is a good one, for sure. Uh, I would look at even the Washington Capitals, like with the Tom Wilson deal. And yeah. I mean, are they? how are they going to get significantly better in the next couple of years, right? So I think it's the kind of thing where once you get past the bottom two or three teams, you could make a case for a lot of teams in that category, right, that aren't very good now and don't necessarily have a clear path to getting better. So, and I think the Canucks 
they they fall roughly in the mix with a lot of those. If you had them, you know, fifth versus eighth or whatever, I can see an argument for both sides. Yeah. Like from the stats in the poll as well, like after the bottom two, there's not a lot separating like the bottom th- exactly third, okay. third worst from like at, the tenth right? worst, right? Like they're all kind of in that same bubbly area, whereas like the Coyotes are like far and away past everyone else but then there's sort of a mushy middle after that yeah and that's really you know the whole aspect of this that that group that we're talking about that that maybe five or six teams or whatever it may be it's it's that same group is essentially saying hey you can make the playoffs if we get in right and and there's a lot of overlap with some of those teams and especially the window that they have so I, i get that i get i don't necessarily agree with the fifth but i agree with the canucks being a part of that group though yeah, exactly. That extended a little farther to like the bottom ten, and it makes it makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, uh, but uh, yeah, good shout from uh, a dog finding the the fan poll there uh, on the athletic. Well, we got a, one here from Colin and Tawasson. What we learned: Davis Schneider is proving that the mustache is back in pro sports. There's something about a dude with a thick mustache that is always intimidating. I don't know if intimidating is the word I would choose for Davis Schneider. He's only like five nine. And it, it it actually seems more it's more like endearing I would say I don't it doesn't make him look tough it makes him look kind of goofy but in a nice way I think yeah I don't know I've, I don't think mustaches are intimidating like no. in general no like, I don't okay think so. who's the most famous mustache of all time like Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck yeah right yeah and like, I, like you, would you, you say intimidating, intimidating? no I, mean, I guess he was playing like a but it was like he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt man how intimidating was he. I think it depends on the kind of mustache, too, because if you got, like, the twirly supervillain mustache or, like, one of the old-school cartoon black-and-white mustaches, it sort of depends on the level of mustache. Like Dave Babbage mustache, not so much intimidating. Yeah, it's kind no, of like a, or like a friendly McDonald uncle vibe, or, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Friendly uncle is a good way of putting it. I wouldn't, I like it. I think David Schneider looks great. He's doing him, man. He's got a good look, but I wouldn't say intimidating. You ever have a mustache only? No. I had it once. Really? I did Movember once. This was before I got into broadcasting. Yep. It was a questionable look. It, it, it is a questionable yeah. look. I did it once as well. I looked like I should have been on a few lists. It's, it wasn't a good look. <laughs> not, a, not a good list. Yeah. Uh, somebody else texted in Raleigh Fingers, which now we're just remembering remembering some guys with uh, mustaches. But again, like, fun mustache. Not intimidating. Not intimidating. With the, like, curly cues at the like, end even of there. The ha- yeah. Like, I'm trying to like what was it West Coast Choppers the the guy that with his dad like was that intimidating mustache? <laughs> I'm dating myself here. We all watched the show for like five mean. minutes. I, I know who you mean for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone can think of somebody who looked intimidating with a mustache. Uh, hit us up at six fifty six fifty. Here's what I wanted to read. Uh, I know you're a big F one guy, so Colin Calgary says what we learned. F one is considering removing DRS. It's a drag reduction system from qualifying sessions. Next year, the system is meant to facilitate passing during races, and its removal would be another blow to Red Bull's dominance, as they are far and away the best at the use of DRS. That's from Cole in Calgary. Now, the interesting thing to me there is that the idea that this would be a blow to Red Bull, because I was talking about this with Izzy over the last couple of weeks. I dipped my toes in the F1 water, and I enjoyed it. It's really tough for me to get invested. Yeah. When it's Max Verstappen by 30 seconds, no matter where, even if he's pole position, second in the grid, sixth in the grid, it's Max Verstappen in a walk every race. It's tough for me. Look, I I can respect the greatness. I can respect what he's able to do. It's just a hard ask to invest the time when it feels like the results is preordained. I'm curious if F1 views it 
as a problem at all? Because I know that's tradition in the sport, right? Mm. You go through these these moments Lewis of absolute Hamilton dominance. Hamilton was running right? riot for, yeah. But I almost wonder if they need to tweak things just a little bit to try to capitalize on all the momentum, to have that staying power in North America. Well, it's an interesting conversation because the Drive to Survive bump that they did get brought yep. in a lot of casual fans that mm-hmm. were, like you, dipping their toe into the water to say, oh, wow, like this is... Some Lewis versus Max Verstappen drama mm-hmm. going on here. Can't wait till next year when it's going to be just as competitive. And guess what ha- happens? Not really. No. Charles Leclerc could not be that guy last year. And this year, nobody can even get close to Max Verstappen. Now, the issue here is with any sport that relies on human skill, which no question you need to have when you're driving, what, 300 kilometers per hour. But also, it's, it's also an engineering it's mechanics. Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically two teams. Two sets of engineers saying, I'm going to outdo you. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to go up against the rules. And that's the reality F1. It's always been the reality. They try to make it more equal. But like this whole consideration of removing DRS during qualifying races, yeah, I'm for it. But guess what? It's also going to make an impact on other teams too because they try to employ a similar strategy. Red Bull just does it better than everybody. So as long as you have this, and F1 is that, it's, it's part driving it's also part hey we can build a better car than you uh, that'll always be a part of it I, so there's tweaks you can make jamie but in the end i think if you get too close to changing the way that they do yeah. things you're changing f1 which i uh, know the I loyals are gonna I, I loyals are gonna come back get straight, that, right right yeah. it's a delicate balance between trying to make sure the new fans stick around and frustrating the fans who've been there from the beginning and who have you know have all this respect for the history and which as i said like the history is Guys come in and, and teams dominate for a long period, right? Yep. That's the history McLaren's done in the past, but there Ferrari's are. he's done it. But there's every so and then, like every now and then, you've got Senna versus Prost. You've got obviously yep. Lewis versus Max Verstappen. You had uh, Damon Hill versus uh, Jacques Villeneuve, the one year that Jacques ended up winning. And they were teammates. So you do have uh, that, that rivalry coming out. But, hey, it, it's one of those things that. Um, I think there will be a drop-off, though, from a lot of casual fans that started to get into it. Uh, this text comes in from uh, Basketball Phil. says, what we learned, no Corey Joseph and O'Shea Brissett for the World Cup for Canada basketball. And Jamal Murray is officially a question mark, still holding out hope that he will meet up with the team in Spain. That's from Basketball Phil. And the Jamal Murray one is the big one, obviously. Sure. Coming off the performance he had in the NBA Finals – and you look at the Americans not sending their best roster, although they're still very rightfully the favorites, but you could make the case that with Jamal Murray and Shea Gilgis-Alexander coming off an all-NBA first-team season for the Oklahoma City Thunder, that Canada would have the best backcourt at this tournament, right? Not just Canada's best backcourt ever, but the best backcourt of all the teams at this tournament. And in a short tournament setting, if you have two guards like that who can create their own shot, who can handle the rock like they can – you have a chance to win. If you take out Jamal Murray, yeah, you still have Gilgis Alexander, and he's still fantastic, but all of a sudden the strength of your team is really devastated, and it's going to be a shame. If he can't play or if he's not quite at 100% for that team, they had a real shot to do something special at this World Cup. I'm not saying that it's hopeless without Jamal Murray, but this was going to be the best Canada basketball roster we've ever got to see. I really hope that Murray's able to be a part of it. Yeah, and really loads up the pressure on one guy, right? Yep. You're looking at maybe one or one look every time you're going up the floor where that dual threat is huge, where, as you mentioned, two guys that can create their yep. own shot. But this is a business in the end of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
Jamal has always been clear. He was actually on this station about five years ago saying, I'm willing to step up for Canada whenever is needed. So he's always been loyal to the program. But in the end, if it's going to potentially jeopardize what you're doing start October, all it, NBA players I, are going to are gonna take a step back and, and you say, know, I got to think about it. Credit to him, like, coming off an NBA Finals run. I mean, he played deep. He was on the last team standing. He could have easily used that as, hey, guys, you know what? I need to rest up. I need to be make sure I'm healthy to go for the uh, for the NBA season. He didn't. He came to play, and uh, fingers crossed that he's able to get into the game because, yeah, it could be really exciting if he's, if he's there. All right, we got this one here as well from Dan. What we learned, owner of Rexham FC, Ryan, uh, Ryan Reynolds, will be awarded the Order of BC. Is he BC's most known actor? Right now? And I, I, should, I should clarify and correct myself. Wrexham. What did I you say, Wrexham? Wrexham? Yeah. I, I pronounced it wrong. Wrexham FC. Wrexham. Well, him or Seth Rogen, probably. I would it's, say. But it's got to be Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah, now, I think so. Right? Like, he's a bigger star than Seth Rogen, for sure. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay, with, with Seth Rogen, and this is no shot to him because he's in town, right, so if you're he's taking, listening. taking shots at Seth Rogen. Well, like, I, like I feel like going. I feel like he's, he's kind of near a ceiling. I think with Ryan Re- Reynolds, he's like, we're talking about there's more to go, man. There's more to go. Well, I think Ryan Reynolds after Deadpool, and then now with the Wrexham series, which has been a big deal, right? Like, I think that's probably introduced him to a lot of extra, a, a bigger audience. And, yeah, I just, no no disrespect. I'm like you. I'm not going to be out here taking pot shots at Seth Rogen. But somebody's got to be number one. And I think it's Ryan Reynolds right now. I'm not taking pot shots. I'm just saying. Everybody's Randy got a ceiling. Everybody, out Seth Rogen. Everybody's got a ceiling, all right? We all do. Randy Janda's like, when was super bad? Like 15 years ago? What have you done for me lately, Seth Rogen? Just saying. <laughs> the disrespect, the disrespect. By the way, people, a lot of people texting in uh, what they consider to be intimidating mustaches. And uh, the one that stands out to me, George Peros. Now, not now, he's obviously intimidating just inherently, but I'm trying to picture, I'm looking at pictures of him and I'm trying to picture him without the mustache. I don't think it would be as intimidating. So I think that might be the answer. Somebody who looked more scary as a result of growing a mustache. But didn't he, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, like he's got a great mustache, but he also has a degree in economics from like Harvard or something like that. So is that mustache intimidating or is it like nerdy? Like I think it plays both, man. No, I I wouldn't want to get punched in the face by him. I'm not saying, but. (laughs) First you call out Seth Rogen. Now you say that (laughs) George Paris looks looks soft. We got this one. Randy Johnson. If you're a cameraman. You want to get away from Randy Johnson, remember? <laughs> yeah. Or a seagull. Or I was going to say, or a bird. <laughs> then you're intimidated by Randy Johnson. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us today. We are back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting. Uh, you've got it here on Sportsnet 650.